right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Indivisible podcast. I am your host, Natasha, and joining us today on the podcast is Caitlin Clare. Caitlin is an Australian filmmaker based in LA, and she's here to talk about her short film, After This. After This is currently in pre-production and will begin filming in October this year. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me, Natasha. I'm honestly, I'm so thrilled to be here, truly. Thank and you. we are so thrilled for you to be talking to us about your film. Um, could you maybe, could you share with us the inspiration behind After This? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to make it easy for the listeners, I'll just briefly summarize it. It's about a, a young couple, Annie, she's terminally ill with a brain tumor and her partner, Liam, uh, and also their dog, Whiskey. And the, the simple premise is that they retreat to a beautiful location in the mountains to end her life on her own terms and very peacefully and together. And the inspiration behind it is that, you know, I've always been an advocate for medical aid in dying. I think it's really important that people receive as many choices as they can at the end of their lives. And I, I don't see any point in forcing people to remain suffering when they would otherwise choose not to do that and they don't have to do that. Um, and so it's a sort of a combination of, of memories of family members of my own who passed away from terminal illness and witnessing that suffering and thinking about what I would want if I were in a similar situation. And just from those deep thoughts, this story emerged about Annie and Liam and, you know, what, what to me would be peaceful if people didn't have a structured end of life option. So in some, in some countries or in some states within certain countries, uh, people who meet a certain criteria can go and talk to their physician and be prescribed mm -hmm. a, a lethal dose of drugs. And, you know, they can be in their own home with their loved ones around them. And, um, you know, they can, they can choose to use the drugs if the suffering becomes too great. They don't have to. Um, but that option isn't available to everyone. And so I, I wrote it from the perspective of a young woman who didn't have that option and had to come up with something that was beautiful and peaceful for her. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, in the case of this couple, um, you know, it... it, it uh, it weighs heavily on on Liam. You know, there are potential legal ramifications and he doesn't really know what's going to happen after this. And so he makes choices of his own. So it's, but it's ultimately a love story. It sounds very bleak, I know. And, and it is in a way. But, you know, their their relationship is, is really beautiful and there are a few little twists and turns along the way. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a sad, bittersweet romance. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I really loved it, right? Uh, it kind I mean, I had a chance to read it and uh, I felt really like teary at the end. I was like, oh no, I'm such yeah. a sad, but... Um, no, isn't it? <laughs> I know. It broke my heart to write that, but it's it's not an unlikely ending when people find themselves in that situation. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, right? So why did you decide to kind of frame it as a love story, like a romance uh, in particular? Because I think, I think it's really interesting to ask questions about 
what makes a life worth living and and I think love plays into that in a in a huge way and I think it's also interesting to ask questions about you know for those of us who are in romantic partnerships Mm -hmm. whether it's marriage or something more casual whatever for those of us who are in romantic partnerships or a close best friendship whatever you want to you know identify with then uh, it's interesting to ask how much of your identity and how much of what makes your life worth living is wrapped up in the other person as well because you know sometimes people experience loss yeah loss loved one and their their whole world is turned upside down not just because they know that a period of grief lays ahead of them, but the other person has helped to comprise and build, you know, their own identity. So love is very much for me, um, you know, wrapped up in death and what, what might make a a beautiful death and what has been a a life worth living, you know? So to me, it just sort of seemed natural to, to see this couple going through it together. Yeah. I think, um, you know, because I read your um, the story that you wrote, right? The, um, the article that you wrote, that kind of um, the the roots of the inspiration and how all this came about, right? Uh, and I think you brought up some really interesting things, like how people who are suffering from terminal illness are ready to go, but sometimes the loved ones don't feel ready to let them go. And that kind of creates that struggle. So I felt like you really, really fleshed it out in after this as well. You know, like Liam wants to be there to support her, but at the same time, it's difficult. Yeah, it's it's all, I don't know. I mean, I hope that you haven't um, had the unfortunate experience of losing anyone close to you, but ultimately it, you know, it it happens to all of us. We will all be touched by terminal illness in some way, whether it happens to us or to someone we love or you know even someone that we maybe don't know but but admire that can affect us as well um and it's it's hard it's really really difficult to to let them go and especially when you know that they're sick and that you know some time might pass before they actually do pass away the grieving yeah. starts early. So you you do all this grieving before they even pass away and then and then it starts afresh again and you're grieving in an entirely different way. It's really difficult to lose someone that you love at any age or stage of life. Yeah. So, okay, maybe let's talk a bit about uh, euthanasia, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which I think is a key aspect that kind of features in this, but also I think... Um, system like systems wise so like why do you think we as a society struggle so much with the idea of it it's a little mystifying to me i i think we're frightened of death and i think in it just in general no one Mm. likes to talk about it really you know it's almost like people think that if they talk about death they'll jinx themselves and they'll die talking about death does not make you die (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> First and foremost. so we can talk about it you know it's, nobody is getting out of this life alive so we, we may as well all confront it and just be honest about how it makes us feel so yeah. uncomfortable conversations are worth having you know yeah. you don't have to hold off having a conversation just because it makes you uncomfortable yeah and so then when you add voluntary um assisted dying into that yeah I mean, so we're not here talking about you know people whose lives are not going to end anyway all right Mm. it's really 
important to distinguish that when we talk about medical aid in dying, voluntary assisted dying, we're talking about people who are terminally ill and who are going to die anyway. And, yeah. and most often in a terribly uncomfortable way, not just uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes they really suffer deeply. So we're not talking about someone who is simply suicidal, but would otherwise have a you know, the ability yes, yes. on living their life, all yeah. right? That's a really important distinction. They need a different kind of help and assistance. And I hope all of those people go out and find it for themselves because, mm. you know, um, suicide is awful. But medical aid in dying is not suicide. Um, someone who is terminally ill, they they do not want to die. They want to live almost yeah. more than so it's really important to make that distinction. But I think it makes us, you know, in, in society, it makes us so uncomfortable to not only to, to talk about it because we feel like we're going to jinx ourselves, but to mm. take on any responsibility for someone else's demise, yeah. you know, unless, unless you're homicidal. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Unless you're homicidal. You know, no, no, nobody really wants to kind of, bear that responsibility I think mm, and yeah I mean it's not that if you want to if you want to sort of bring it down to a baseline when our when our pets are suffering terribly um and the veterinarian you know advises us that it's not fair to you know keep them yeah. alive, and that maybe you know the, the dental euthanasia needle might be the best thing for them it makes people sad, but, you know, nine times out of 10, no one hesitates to do it because they don't want to see their beloved rover in pain. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that it suddenly becomes so different when, you know, the, the conversation turns to doing essentially the same thing for humans. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, and I think religion comes into it a lot as well. And yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to knock anyone's religion. I really don't. Um, as long as you are doing no harm, you know, to anyone else or or to yourself. As long as you're, you know, comfortable in your faith and you're happy and your beliefs don't marginalize anyone else, go for it. I, you know, I wish you all the best. I personally am not at all religious. That's just not me. Yeah. Um, but it does enter heavily into the conversation because um, people equate it with suicide and in, you know, in many religions, suicide is considered a sin. And, and then sometimes, you know, there are martyrs among us who think that um, drinking something that will send you off to sleep peacefully mm. when you're, you know, due to die soon anyway, that it's the coward's way out. There are some people out there who think that we should suffer until mm. the end. And yeah. that can tie into religion a little bit sometimes too. So I think there are a lot of reasons why yeah. you know, no one wants to talk about it. I think, I think yeah. yeah, you definitely more- hit it on the head, I think. Uh, definitely <laughs> religion, I think, is a huge thing. Because, I mean, I was thinking about it when um, I was reading uh, your screenplay, right? Um, because, I mean, like, I don't have to think about it now, but I guess it's because, you know, I'm not, I'm not at any stage yet, right? And I'm also, like, a bit relatively young. <laughs> Let, let's put it that way. Good. So, Good. Good. 
Yeah, but you know, because I mean, my grandmother uh, has dementia. So sometimes when I look at, you know, um, these kind of situations, it does make me think a little bit about, you know, what happens like to me when I get to that stage. Yeah. Will I be able to control, you know, what's happening to me and my body, right? So I think uh, agency is something really, really kind of missing a lot of the time uh, when we deal with illness, right? And I think sometimes it's, you know, having some sense of that control can really really help yeah yeah I I think there are also I mean you sort of raised a a a point for me there I think there are a lot of people who feel that if someone does choose in advance to exercise an end-of-life option for themselves and say they do have um, a disease like dementia Alzheimer's where you know their ability to think for themselves has become impaired I want to make it really clear that in the in the states and and countries states within countries that yeah. have legalized medical aid in dying there are a lot of rules surrounding eligibility for it yeah. as well criteria yeah. so for those who just are a little bit unsure and who kind of you know think that you know if if you know grandma's not doing well and grandma has dementia then you know yeah kid, yeah kind of slip slip something into her drink and off she goes to heaven that's not how it works right you know it really is absolutely the decision of the the person um who is ill yeah and they do need to make that decision for themselves um so basically they you know they need to have six months or less of life predicted um Mm remaining they need to be of sound mind and able to administer the drugs themselves and you know just be in full control of the situation um yeah so for some people who you know who who choose to go that way they'll obtain the drugs while they can and they'll be at home and based on their communications with their healthcare workers they can predict when things might reach a point where they will become unbearable yeah. and, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll choose to end things before that point arrives. But don't, don't we, all, you said it, don't we all deserve agency and autonomy and, mm. you know, don't we all deserve that to be, to be able to have some say in how much suffering we're willing to bear? Yeah. That's what I think. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I do know that not everyone feels that way. And yeah. I respect that. I I just respectfully ask that for those who do feel that way, that options are available to them, you know, giving something to someone who, who wants it and needs it um, doesn't mean that absolutely everyone has to take that path. You know, these options can be available to the people who need them without the people who disagree with them, you know, ever considering using them. Yeah. I think there have been, uh, quite a lot of recent films that have explored this idea like I think there was the one called um, Blackbird with Susan Sarandon and uh, Kate Winslet and Supernova with Colin Firth um, and Stanley Tucci I've seen none of these films that you <laughs> <laughs> but I will I will, <laughs> I will. Well, pa- Paddleton maybe you've watched Paddleton because that's on Netflix I don't know if you've watched it no, I haven't. <laughs> we haven't. Oh my gosh, I sound terrible. The the project that I'm most aware of that really um, discusses this idea in depth and and beautifully so 
is an Australian series called The End that a, a longtime friend of mine, Samantha Strauss, created and wrote and uh, an executive produced. And it it has been out in Australia for a while, but it's coming to Showtime in the US soon in a couple. Oh. Um, but aside from um, aside from that, I'm truly uh, fairly oblivious to aside from you know, and and documentaries like How to Die in Oregon and you know things that are very factual in terms of fiction films and TV series. Samantha's is is the only one that I'm aware of. <laughs> but I will expand my viewing. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know about that series. So <laughs> I can I will check oh, that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it yeah when it um, is available to you do watch it because she's a phenomenally talented writer and the the characters that she's created are just so it's very different to after I mean extremely different to after this and because there is some crossover in the subjects I was sure to send her my script in an early draft and just be just be like it's got nothing to do with your project I wasn't even inspired by your project it came from my own grief but hey can you read this and you know she was she was um she's very incredibly supportive. So um, there's, even though we are friends and we know each other so well, there's definitely no crossover there, but um, <laughs> I, I am her biggest fan and I want everyone to see her series. So if you're, if you're hearing, <laughs> please go and watch The End by Samantha. And it, it's, uh, you know, after this is um, quiet, intimate and, and contemplative and, um, and, and certainly on the sadder side of things, whereas, the end is extremely heartfelt and has some very serious and tender moments, but it's also raucously funny. So go see it, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I'm using this opportunity to plug someone else. Before. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask this question, right? Uh, after this is a tribute, kind of a tribute to the three women in your life whom you lost to a terminal illness. Um, but your main character, Annie, is also an extension of yourself somewhat, right? Uh, yeah. Do you feel that this response, this film was maybe also somewhat a response to you finding out about your BRCA1 gene? Oh, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. Without question. So, <laughs> um, so... For the listeners, the, the three women that we're referring to um, are my cousin, Sean, who passed away when I was much younger and she was also very young. She was 21. Yeah. Um, she had a, a brain tumour, as does my central character of Annie. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of my cousin, Sean, in Annie, in, in, in medical terms anyway. And, you know, I've never forgotten her. She was a really incredible young woman who died far, far, far too soon. Um, also in there is my mom who died of uh, breast cancer that ultimately metastasized. And, um, yeah. you know, she, she uh, herself, she was, you know, she was very determined, very, 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 very determined to live uh, as, as long as she possibly could. Mm, I, yeah. I was 12 when she passed. So I'm not sure if there was any discussion about, um, you know, medical aid in dying back then, but she was, she was so determined to live. So dying never even, she knew it was the reality, but it didn't feel like an option to her. And she set a goal for herself to see me start high school. And she yeah. did, she did. She saw me in my new bright, shiny school uniform on my first day of high school. In yeah. grade eight. <laughs> and she passed away that night. So there's, um, there's a lot of her in there. 
And there's a lot of my, my grandmother or my step-grandmother, Margie, who was a registered nurse and a lifelong voluntary euthanasia advocate. Um, yeah. she, she sadly uh, passed away without having access to that option for herself. Um, but yeah, to go back to my mother. So um, I was in 2019 after resisting genetic testing for the longest time. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was confirmed that I have the BRCA1 mutation, um, yeah. which gives me extremely high odds of getting either breast or ovarian cancer. Um, and of course, of course, when I received those results, which I'd, I'd, I'd put off for a really, really long time. I just yeah. did not take the test because it felt like a death sentence if it was going to come back positive, even yeah. though it's not, okay, it's not. It's just smart to know as much as you can and then, you know, take preventive measures. But mm. um, at the time, in the, in the very um, raw stages of processing that information, I was, I mean, I was devastated because it brought up a lot of old grief that I mm. maybe thought I had worked through, but hadn't. And I was, you know, thinking of my mother, but I was also thinking of my partner, Phil, and, you know, my dad and my friends and just all of the people in my life, um, not just myself, who would be so devastated if, um, if I were to, you know, get yeah. and pass away in the way that my mother did. And, and also once I got those results, you know, the conversation became about, getting scans as quickly as possible. Yeah. I didn't have cancer already because I'm in my mid thirties. Yeah. Um, and so I had a scan and, you know, and they found a lump in my right breast. And so you can imagine. Oh my God. Yeah. Feeling I thought, you know, I've resisted this test and now I know that I have this mutation and now there's a lump and I've left things too late and now I'm really screwed. And so I had some really, they biopsied it and it was uh, benign, thankfully. But oh um, I was certainly, I was just, I was just frightened. I was really frightened. And, yeah. and I never intended to sit down and write a script, but I had a couple of sleepless nights mm. and I was, you know, listening to a lot of Otis Redding on the record player and drinking wine and crying. And, uh, and all of a sudden I just, I just saw I just felt this story. Yeah. Just felt. So I started, um, I started writing it and I wrote the, the first draft across a couple of late nights. It, it actually came out, you know, really quickly. I've tweaked yeah. it a little bit, but not much. <laughs> Pretty close to the first draft. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Annie is, yeah, she is an ex, she's got all three of those women in her. Yeah. You know, she's got Margie because of the message. Um, Sean, because of the medical situation. I mean, my mother's soul is all through it, but yeah. she's also an extension of myself and my own, um, my own, you know, fears and desires as well. So I, I'm a longtime actor in addition. So I, I was absolutely, you know, writing Annie for myself and I will play yeah. her when I shoot the film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It was a direct response to just being really afraid and having to confront you know, my own mortality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when my time comes, it might not even be that, you know, it might be something else. So it just yeah. is what it is. But that's how yeah. it came about. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't expect, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a very open book. You can ask me whatever you want, Natasha. I don't mind, you know. I'm putting yeah. it all on the 
Jenny, Jenny White. This, I've actually written um, a, a, a pilot called Baron that explores the, the BRCA1 thing in a totally different way. It's actually a very dark comedy, but um, that's kind of that. That's on the that's on the back burner. Back burner. Oh. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 circulating. It's doing its thing. Oh. So, I mean, you know, trying to get a series up is very different to making a short film. So we'll yeah. see what becomes of Baron. It's very cool though. But it yeah, it just goes further. I like yeah. I like um, processing <laughs> my trauma by writing about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's such a writer thing though like oh, I think yeah. yeah I totally I totally agree with that you know yeah um, not if we didn't have a way to work through our shit oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know wouldn't we I mean whether whether you write or sing or paint or even or cook or play football who cares you know there's you've got to have an outlet otherwise yeah. it won't but I have to say, you're a beautiful prose writer as well. I I, I thought about that when I was reading um uh, your your account, right? Um, so I don't know if that's in the cards someday, a book, <laughs> a novel. You know, I, when I was when I was sort of much younger, circa two thousand and eight, I made some really strong progress on a book. I mean, I you know I I'd written you know 150,000 words or something like that and oh my uh, god yeah <laughs> I know and I been oh god and I but I was it was probably terrible because I you know I was young and I thought that I was an artist and, uh. you know, I really don't think I was at that point but um oh I'd spent a good year and a half writing this thing and that, I mean, this was well before, it was 2008. It doesn't sound like that long ago, but we didn't have the cloud. And, you know, I barely, I, I'd made one copy of it. I'd burned a copy of it onto a, a CD. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> oh and no. so, yeah. So this document just existed on my Mac book yeah. uh, at the time. And I, I had just moved um, from Queensland to Fitzroy in Melbourne. And, you know, Fitzroy is a cool area, but crime happens there sometimes. <laughs> and the house that I just moved into, the house got robbed and the, the laptop got stolen and I lost the only copy. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. So I don't know if, I, if I'll ever be brave enough to try again, but maybe I will love again, Natasha. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. God. <laughs> I mean... Poetry is, yeah, it's, uh, in, in case this is confusing to anyone, there is a little bit of uh, prose in Annie's dialogue. It's, you know, very poetic in parts because her, um, her ability to communicate has been impaired. So I won't, I won't go too, too deep into that. Yeah. That is one of the very special qualities of the script, but, um, but that's, anyway, that's yeah. what <laughs> I know exactly which part you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> because I did think about asking about it, but I'm like, no, I can't because it spoiled things. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I know exactly what it's so beautiful. I mean, it's so weird because I, yeah, I mean, I understood everything, even though, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, when I, when I was writing those parts, I wrote it in, uh, in plain English first. Yeah. Because as, especially like, uh, you know, as the writer who, who was also going to be the actor, I, I really needed to know what she was trying to say. Yeah. Um, so I wrote it in, in plain English first. And I, so I know, and I'm the only one who knows 
exactly what she's saying. But then, uh, yeah, I went in and, and, and changed it to that, that word salad that you, um, that you saw on the page. So yeah. I will forever be the only one who knows that she's really trying to say. I was going to say, like, you can tell me in secret after, after the pod <laughs> yeah, is done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly predictable. It's, you know, it's, it's full of love and fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like it as well. I kind of like that I, I, I think I know what she's saying even though I don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, you know, because at, at that point, you know, thinking, thinking ahead to the film, you sort of want, you want the audience to experience it in the way that Liam might be experiencing it. So, you know, the, the hope there is that, um, that any, any confusion that might be aroused um, is, uh, is accepted as being part of the experience. You know, I want people yeah. to feel an affinity with, these these characters and and to to experience some of the things that um that they're feeling yeah okay so uh we've come to that time in the podcast where um you can plug anything you want to plug i mean like what you want to say like uh, about you know any kind of support you want to kind of get for the film uh yeah <laughs> oh i can't even tell you how much i appreciate that like, can I just make a public statement? Indie filmmaking, I, we all, I think we all know this. If you're yeah. listening to this podcast, you already know this. But let me just say it out loud in solidarity. Indie filmmaking is so rewarding and incredible and such a beautiful thing. But it is so hard because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, but that's the independent spirit fighting through it. And I think we can all agree the hardest thing about it is is uh, finding the funds because you know a, an indie short film, it can absolutely do well. It has the power to change lives. You know, lives are changed through stories, and if if a even a short film is um, is successful in the way that it's made and it has a strong film festival circuit and lots of people see it, you just have no idea how many hearts can be touched, um, and you know how many lives could potentially be changed because someone takes an important message away from your film. So yeah. there is so much value in making a short film. I mean, yes. if you've seen Neighbours Window that won the Oscar a couple of years ago, I, mm. I watched that and it, you know, it shook me. It's still with me a couple of years later. So there is a lot of value in making short films, but <laughs> not everyone sees that value because it's, you know, not going to end up being um, necessarily a big blockbuster hit that's going to make millions and squillions of dollars, right? So finding yeah. money to um, make it in the first place can be really challenging. So yeah. to that end, <laughs> I, I would really love to thank Film Independent. Um, you know, they're such an esteemed media or a media and arts organisation. They really um, capture the spirit of independent film and they do such a phenomenal job of supporting independent filmmakers. And I'm really grateful because they have a lot of faith in this project and they have come on board um, and backed it as our fiscal sponsors, yeah. which means that, um, you know, under their, you know, I always forget whether it's 501c3 or 5013c. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> under their charitable banner, <laughs> um, we are able to offer anyone who donates to our film um, tax exemption to the fullest extent of the law. So um, any donations made to our project are considered charitable donations that are tax deductible. Um, so 
if you are out there and you like tax breaks, if you like tax <laughs> deductions, you are in the habit of making charitable donations and you love supporting independent filmmakers, especially female filmmakers, because yeah. we have, um, we've got a female director, female DP, female first aid. I mean, the list, there's so many women attached to this project. Um, then please, please consider making a donation to our short film. We'll love you forever. Um, you can do that by, we have a website that we've put up, um, which is afterthisfilm.com. Um, you can find links to our Film Independent project page there. Uh, if you're already familiar with the Film Independent website, you can search for the project after this on the Film Independent website. Um, and we also have the link in our link tree in the bio on Instagram, which is at after this film. So um, yeah, and if you follow, we'll follow back. We love supporting our fellow filmmakers <laughs> in any way that we can and, you know, hearing about all your projects as well. So afterthisfilm.com, at afterthisfilm on Instagram, or you can search for afterthis at filmindependent.org. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> that was Thank brilliant. You. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, you know. <laughs> You think it's a challenge, but it's beautiful. I'm so grateful. I'm so, I'm really, I'm really so grateful for the support that this, uh, that this script has had from film festivals. It's, you know, it's been beyond my wildest dreams. It, yeah. it really has. And, you know, I, not that accolades are the most important thing, but, um, you know, it's, it's won 18 awards in 2021 so far. And, yeah. um, maybe for the rest of my life, that'll be the best I ever do. So I'm, ch I'm just, <laughs> no. and I, I'm just, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. What I am really proud of though, is that, you know, this, as, as you can tell, you know, this, this story is just so personal to me and the fact yeah. that um, whether it's through juries and judges and, you know, and awards being the proof in the pudding, the, the fact that it is, really truly touching other people's hearts as well is just you know just um just I just hope my mum would be proud and Sean would be proud and Margie would be proud and and I hope that um for for those people out there um especially you know to anyone who's listening if it's someone you know to those people out there who are sick and suffering and scared and um you know just not really knowing what to do or unable to access, you know, the, the right kind of care or, you know, just anyone out there who's suffering and ill. I, you know, my, my heart breaks for you and it, I, I feel for you. And when it comes to the legislation um, for medical aid in dying, I mean, if, if this film plays any part at all in uh, helping people vote it into existence in places where it is not yet in existence, then um, I'll, I'll be thrilled, you know, because yeah. I, I think that that people deserve choice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I have no words. No, people deserve choice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, one last question before we end uh, the podcast. How much of a purist are you in uh, at Scrabble? <laughs> <laughs> wow! I'm a psych. I 
<laughs> like crazy about Scrabble. Yeah. I, I, it's the only game I like aside from Pictionary. I don't like board games at all. I find them really just so irritating, but I love Scrabble. <laughs> But yeah, I'm a total purist. You know, a, a while ago, I was on a date. Never worked out, but I was on a date, and I was playing Scrabble with this very beautiful-looking human being. <laughs> and he played the word "naan," you know, like the bread N W A N. Oh, I mean, it's against the rules. <laughs> but because I, because I was, you know, on a date, yeah. I. Uh, I let him get away with it. And this was, oh, maybe like seven years ago. And it's, I'm still annoyed with myself for letting. <laughs> so if <laughs> that tells you anything about me and Scrabble, why do you want to play? <laughs> no, because I asked because it's in the, it's in the script. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. Beginning. You know what? Yes. I forgot <laughs> you know what? Yes. It is in the script. They have this, you're right. And the use of, yeah, the use of language is a is a recurring theme. <laughs> wow. It's not that I had forgotten it was in there. It was just more that it's so natural for me to bang on about Scrabble yeah. that I thought you were just asking me because you were deeply <laughs> yeah. perceptive, which I think you are. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so there you go. Annie and I are one and the same. I think it's become very obvious. <laughs> Yeah, no, because it, it really it really stuck with me because I'm I'm a purist as well when it comes mm -hmm. to Scrabble. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you, thank you for for picking up what I put down there. It's yeah. very important. <laughs> okay, uh, well, if you guys want to watch me and Caitlin <laughs> play Scrabble online, <laughs> okay. we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we will see you on the next podcast. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thank you, Natasha.